0: Good morning, everyone. Here we are again, and I am really, really glad to be here with you all. I want to start off by reading uh, the primary reference verses. There's going to be a lot of verses today that we're going to go with. It's going to be a wild ride, but it's okay. So, you're just strapped into a roller coaster, right? We're going up to the first hill. It'll be, it'll be all right, I promise. Let's stand and read just this introductory verse from Acts 2, starting in verse 22. This is Peter speaking. I know these words are familiar, but they're everything to us. Just like the songs we just sang, Christ is everything. And Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible For him to be held by it. So you may be seated. Um, First of all, did you complete your homework assignment I gave you? Did you diagram on paper a day in your life? It's kind of scary, right? So you may be too afraid of what it might have shown on how you spend your time. But that's okay. I'm an easy grader. And I do assign extra credit, however. I uh, was thinking about this. I hope... You know, you won't mind if I go over a little bit today. I may not, but I might. I hope you don't mind that. I'll ask you this. Will there be any clocks in heaven? Will there be any watches, iPhones, anything like that? That's That's a rhetorical question. I ask a lot of these to make you think and engage with me. Okay? So, where we're going with this is that in, the, in this recent past period of time as a church, our pastor has been leading us through the book of Romans, through the total life guide of becoming a living sacrifice, how we function as the mem- many members of the one body appropriately administering the gifts of grace and most recently detailing what the marks of the true Christian are. And I want to do a brief, and you can laugh when I say brief, review of who we are. We need to take a time out and and remind ourselves who we are and why this area of Scripture that we're in as a church in Romans 12 is so vitally important. So I want to look together at some of the answers to the why question, why, and other several other types of questions. For example, just briefly. Why is it important to stay focused on Christ and holy living? How do we meet the challenges of sin and temptation? Why is it important to not get discouraged with the trials of life and why we never give up? What are the rewards and much more? So in in looking at a unifying theme to all this that ties it all together a theme of encouragement, if you will. I can think of no better reminder for us today than the concept of the reunion. It may not be familiar. That's an area that is rarely touched on, if at all. Um, And we'll do it in the context of two different layers. So first, you know, we can confidently know and say and agree that there was a separation of mankind from the Father due to sin. Then there was a separation that occurred between Christ the Son and the Father due to the sinful fall of mankind and the God-ordained need to rectify it. And biblically, Bible logic dictates that since there has been these type of separations, there had to be reunions. Think about this. Where can you find it in Scripture? The reunion between God and the Son and the reunion between us and Christ and God? Where is it? We'll look into it. Uh, Second, we, the bride of Christ, as stated, became separated from him spiritually. And on this side of eternity, we remain physically separated from his direct presence. But we are in him spiritually. One day, we'll also have that glorious, complete reunion to look forward to this. Now, think about this. How should this inspire you? Think about that. And I want to review, again, who we really are, consolidate our status in God's creation, and give you hope and inspiration in order to join the level of Paul's passion as he started Romans 12. He's basically saying, for goodness sakes, pay attention, right? He's shouting at us. So... Let's open up this study today in prayer. Let's pray here. Father God, um, we, um, your people, stand in a posture of gratitude and humility before you. We, yet in Christ, continue to sin. And we are completely sorry, Lord Jesus, that you had to deal with it. But we are grateful that you did. Only you would have the strength to resolve it. And I pray, Father, that you would show us today how you use temptation to shape us into the image of your Son. And it can be a tool that you use, Father, in a positive way if we just deal with it rightly. So I pray that you would join our hearts and minds together. Let us be focused on you like a laser. I pray that in my weakness you would let your strength be seen. Set this sinner aside and let your will and your glory shine through like a pencil in your hand for your glory, your glory alone, Father. Now as we pray, part the clouds and come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are hungry to be with you permanently. So all these things I ask in your name, your most holy name, amen. So. Let's start with something familiar. Let's start with something recent. We're going to be turning several places, but let's go to Romans 12. We've been there a lot, right? We've been there. We are there in Romans 12. I just want to emphasize what caught my attention about this and why we're going to go through these points. Remember, Romans 12.1, you know, we, we are a living sacrifice. Paul's saying, Pay attention. And when he says right out of the gate, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Why? Note how he's saying this. You have to do this a lot when you read scripture. This is not in monotone. This is not just black letters on a white background. And I would respectfully submit to you that it's as close to swearing as Paul could possibly get. You know, he says, he's supremely passionate. He says, by the mercies of God, know these things. And then he goes on to list them, right? And that's exactly what we need to take note of today. The passion and the why of this point, this very point, and the things that follow it. Pastor Nick's been preaching and teaching to us. So we'll review together some key background explanatory and exploratory information here today right from the Word of God. And so I would say, you know, our, our main challenges are sin and temptation. And then I want to talk about how and why we persevere and what rewards we have now and the ones that are promised in the future. So I want to ask you this. When you think about... The keys to navigating your life on the vine. We're on the vine, right? Life on the vine. What are the keys? And is it easy? By no means, you know. If you think this life is easy, I have grave concerns about you. But our two major challenges, again, are sin and temptation. There are many, many, many others, probably innumerable. But I want to start by talking about sin, right? It's for our discussion. I think that it's the historical and true starting point we need to 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 uh, start with. And and again, Paul saying, pay attention to who you are. And so, who are we really? And where have we come as humanity and as the church? Right. John Owen said this, the great Puritan. He said, first, it is certain that all the elect. The whole church of God fell in Adam under the curse due to the transgression of the law. By this curse, death, both physical and eternal, is meant. This curse no man could undergo and be saved. And it's shocking to realize this, is it not? That, you know, despite an intimate union now with Christ, the entire body of the elect was formerly under the cursed and destined for eternal damnation initially, just like the rest of humanity. But we have Christ, right? In First Peter 3.18, it says, He suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. And so, when you look at Scripture like this, and you look at Isaiah 53.6, where it says, The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of all. You can't digest this and understand it using human reason. You have to look at it through the lens of divine righteousness. Because we tend to bring in the human concept of fair and unfair, right? And so here you can clearly see the innocent is being punished for the guilty. And in our humanity, we would tend towards saying, well, that's not fair, right? This transfer of punishment, as Owen calls it, is actually not contrary at all to divine justice. It's not arbitrary. It's specific to the elect. It is holiness. It reflects the fact that Christ offered himself as surety to secure the new covenant for the church. Therefore, we need to think about this in terms, in spiritual terms, not with the philosophy of man. That will lead you astray. Owen says this again. He says, this wonderful gift of Christ to the church arises out of the eternal counsel, wisdom, grace, and power of the Father. Furthermore, in order to give himself to us, Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to him to live in him in all his fullness by the Father. This Spirit, dwelling in Christ in all his fullness, Christ in turn gives to all believers to dwell in them. And this is who we truly are. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit of Christ, is in us. And not partial, like, it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture. Because you're human, you get 25% of the Holy Spirit. Or 75%. Or 98%. It's not in part, but in full. If you're in Christ, this is your true status. The true, complete, hard-to-accept-by-the-world sort of, Behind the scenes, as it were, reality of human life as it relates to those who are saved. The same spirit that was in Christ, right? So then it begs the question. So now we've established the separation, the sin, how it's dealt with, and that we have the spirit. But the question becomes, since this is so, Why do we keep on sinning? That's the great question before us. Now, like you can, you can trust and believe, and I pray that you do, but then you, you live between your own ears. You see yourself from the inside and you know your thoughts, you know your words, you know your actions, you know your lack of words, you know your lack of actions, you know your lack of studying the word of Christ. Why do we keep on sinning since we have the great Holy Spirit in us? Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Maturity, brings out two key thoughts for us as believers when it comes to what an enemy sin is to everything about us and how we should deal with it. These two are great companion helpers. The first is awareness of it, and then the second is resistance to it. How do we fight it? So... With regards to awareness, and there's more to come on this. But, you know, I would I would remind you, God is is long-suffering, you know. And like, like you hear me say, and this is true, you know, if you have repetitive sin that's unconfessed and recurrent, He'll give you a season for recognition and repentance of it. If you don't, He'll correct you and you won't like it. I see this in His Word. I see this in life on the vine i see this in the body it's so true where does it come from there's this little thing called the heart right what about the heart how do you maintain an awareness of what a traitor we have living in us that we call the heart what does scripture say about it in jeremiah 17 9 it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it And in Mark 7, verses 20 to 23, the very words of Jesus, it says this, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so... You have to have an awareness of this. You know, how many times has anybody in the world or even in the church ever said, trust your heart, you know, believe in your heart, go with your heart. What does your heart tell you? Yeah, it's nothing but lies. That's exactly right. So you have to be skeptical. You have to get in the habit of comparing your heart impulses, your heart thoughts, your heart opinions to what the word of God says always, right? And so I like to say for a variety of topics, you know, whether it's in life in general or uh, particularly in medicine, I always say awareness is about 90% of overcoming anything. Awareness is an absolute key. Otherwise, we just go through life blindly, right? So awareness, be aware, be aware and always go to the Word of God. And As far as resistance goes, you know, how do we fight? That's what I asked, you know. Who's the greatest example that we're to pattern our lives after? Who is it? Jesus, yeah. I heard somebody, at least one person, knows, right? It's Christ. It's always Christ. His example. How did he fight? Remember when he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? How did he fight? Yes, the Word of God. He says in Matthew, you see this in Matthew 4 predominantly, but he answered the devil, it is written, quotes the Word of God. And again, Jesus said to him, again, it is written. And then finally he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And so we fight in his strength with the whole armor that he has provided to us. There are instructions in the Word on how to do this. But we struggle because we fight in our own strength a lot of times, trying to use logic and reason and philosophy and the advice of well-meaning people. But there's instructions in the Word, right? In Psalm 119, 110, it says, I, you know, they, they've laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. It's my total life guide. In Ephesians six seventeen, you know these words. You know this, the armor of God, right? It says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so we pattern ourselves after the Lord Jesus when he was on the earth with the tools that we are left with, right? And so having died and risen with Christ, we're to live by faith in the Son of God in his strength. That's from Galatians. And in dependence on him. And the dependence... You can categorize in three in a threefold way because it's threefold office that he has, right? So to know God's will and to become like Christ, we look to him as prophet. God has spoken to us by his son, it says in Hebrews, also in Hebrews, to know and live in holiness. We look to him as priest. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, from Hebrews one three, and to know and draw upon his victory and power, we look to him as king. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, also says in Hebrews one three. So he is our prophet, priest, and king. We are dependent on him, and we can look to these offices that he has authority over. And finally, we also have the God-given faith that we must trust in him, Like the saints of old, like when you look at the great saints of old, passage Hebrews 11, walk in him. You have no strength to navigate this life of your own. If you try, you will fail. You have to stay in Christ. And and the reason is we are sinners always. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have Christ. Yes, we believe the gospel. But we are always sinners on this side of eternity. We need awareness and a strategy for resistance. And it comes from the very word of God, okay? As far as temptation goes, what is it exactly? Why do we experience it? So I have a, a killjoy for you or a buzzkill, whatever you want to call it. I have to give you the bad news. I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm happy to tell you. It's never going to stop in this life here. You're never going to reach a point where you say, oh boy, I've graduated from temptation. That's not happening until you step into the next life. While we are here, it will always be with us. And it is very subtle. It's not always blatantly obvious. Um, you know, it could be something that you think of as a, as a good characteristic in a way, you know. Like a lot of people use the temptation of having spiritual pride. Um, Alistair Begg reminds us that our spiritual life and abilities are all a gift of God, not generated by us. So it's not true. Um, there's a lot of temptation, particularly in this day and age, but I think it's always been to have personality pride. You know, people promote themselves in this way. I told this Sunday school class, like, how many people have you ever known in your life that brag about their personality characteristics? Like, for example, oh, you better not make him mad. You know, you've never seen a temper like his. And people get temptation to promote that and and keep it and it bleeds its way into sin, right? So sometimes temptation is not always blatantly obvious. I want to ask you this to get you to think and engage with me. Is temptation in and of itself a sin? Think about that. Temptation itself, is it a sin? Well, you know, it has with it the sense of putting us to the test. And here, here is how you resolve questions like that. What does the Word of God say? Since Jesus himself was tempted, temptation itself is not a sin. What we do with it can lead to sin. How do we discern the difference between temptation and sin? Can it be actual sin? Yes, it is. It can be. So the starting point is circling back to the questioning of our hearts what you do with it, like, you know, answer honestly the question, do I want this temptation in my life and then play with it? Or is it repulsive to me and I reject it? Do I save it for later and get it out sometimes when I want to mull it over and enjoy it? So it can be, but in and of itself, by itself, it's not. So I want you to see this too. In the great battle of this life that we're in here, God often tests us to prove his work in us and to sanctify us. The enemy seeks to destroy it and us. So we're sometimes being tested to prove the genuineness of our faith by God, not incited to sin. Does God want us to sin? I'd say no. Did he want Jesus to sin? Of course not. Right? So here's a point of clarification, because I know some of you are probably connecting the dots. Those of you that's been in my Sunday school class, you're cheating because you already know this, but it's okay. I'll, I'll ignore it. <laughs> um, what about the Lord's Prayer? What does the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus say there? Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, right? So since we've established that God doesn't lead us into temptation for the purpose of soliciting us to sin, why would He, why would he have that in our lives? Um, I want to expose the truth here about this. Think about it. The Spirit of God led the Son of God into the wilderness to be tested by God. The devil solicited Him to sin. Obviously, Jesus did not give in to sin. We have a different set of Well, I would say not a different set, but we feel the set of pressures exerted on us in temptation, right? So what are they? First of all, we're fallen and we have internal hungry desires of the flesh to contend with. Second, our experience in the world tells us that the temptation can be made possible. That's why we play with it, right? And lastly... We are vulnerable to the devil with our weaknesses exposed. Weaknesses or times of spiritual prosperity. We're vulnerable to the great enemy of God. Um, But I want you to see that temptation can be a great vehicle to expose our weaknesses and make us more like Christ. I want you to see this and understand it. I mean, what better way could there be for God to expose our weaknesses and make us more like Christ than to have them come out blatantly to us. We'll go over that more in a minute. Um, we just don't always see it that way, right? So how does it actually work? I know Sinclair Ferguson lists occasion, like when does it happen most? Progress, like how it, how does it usually progress in steps? And then what can be the potential harvest, right? So as far as the occasion, again, like I just said, times of spiritual prosperity draw Satan's attention. Consider King David. But I want you to think about this. You you know, don't let that just that should not discourage us from being obedient to the work we're called to. Right. Like the natural human tendency would be. Well, I really don't want to do that type of ministry because I'd rather just hunker down and not get attacked by the enemy. That is not it at all. We're in the strength of Christ. Conversely, in times of spiritual weakness, too, we can get caught off guard that way. Simple obedience and daily conformity to God's will is one of our most important safeguards and tools. Go to his word. And then how does it usually progress? Um. It it usually happens through stages, you know. If it was a direct end-of-the-line confrontation, it would be recognizable it wouldn't work, right? And Ferguson lists aggravation, deception, captivation. You can add a lot more baby steps than that. There's There's a progression. It sneaks through the back door. Again, consider the example of David. And how temptation built. But he allowed it. He promoted it. He played with it. He willed it to happen. But always, like, count the potential cost. Both short-term and long-term. David experienced months of spiritual separation from God and a lifetime of shame. And his kingdom work was never the same again. So, again, you know, back to the question, what could possibly be? The useful purpose for God to allow us to experience temptation, He surely does. So, if, if I'm left to my own thoughts, and if I was in charge of my own life, well, first of all, the world would come to an end because I would make a disaster, a train wreck out of it. But if I was in charge of my own life, in my mind, the first thing I would do is I would say I'd be better off without temptation. You know, who wouldn't like to have a life free of temptation? Would you sign up for that? Like if you had stood and had a choice, continuing in this organic life on this side of eternity with temptation or making it end, who would not like to be free of temptation, right? I would, except for God's intention and in using it for His glory and my benefit. And again, like I said a minute ago, What better way could God use to show us our sin and chasten us for it? I'll ask you this, again, to engage you in thinking. Does God need to know our sin and our level of faith, where we are in our walk? He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he knows everything, right? We need to know. We need to be conformed to Christ. God exposed David's primary sin weakness in this manner and for this purpose, David just chose to override it. But there was a great opportunity right there. When David first saw Bathsheba, he should have said, I have this temptation. Let me turn to the word of God. Let me repent on this. Take it away from me. Let me get dressed and go to my primary duty to be on the battlefield. God was exposing. And you can see, like the last time I was here, we talked about, uh, what had happened with David and how he had broken all of the rules regarding having multiple wives. And so his great stronghold of sin was of a sexual nature, right? So God showed him this temptation to get it out. But he chose to override it. It was ignored. And so here's the why answer. Like we're all two-year-olds today, right? Why? Why are we there yet? Here's the why answer. The vine dresser, in our case, lets the sin grow out in order to cut it off. The temptations you face most of the time can be indicative of indwelling sin, right? But you don't have the power alone to deal with it. We're not alone in this. We're not alone. We have a hope. It can be done. In Romans eight twenty-six and 28, it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, know ourself. And here's a shocking epiphany to go along with what we're saying. It's counterintuitive to your human reason. Temptation is a wonderful opportunity, but we miss it 99% of the time or more. How should we handle it? Again, awareness leading to scripture, leading to prayer and repentance, leading to turning away, which leads to new habits, which invokes a life of holiness and ultimately becoming more like christ but most of the time we just stay annoyed with our temptations and we feel guilty about it happening over and over without taking it for what it is it's an opportunity to grow into christ we have to have backbone enough to see it that way and act on it but we mostly just blindly keep repeating ourselves and wonder why we can't get away from it why is this happening to me why is this It could be maybe we just haven't dealt with it. But wake up, it's a gift. It's a gift. You have to see it rightly. We're never getting away from it. You might live to be 105 years old and you will still have temptation. That's the, the bad news right there. So you have to see it for what it is. It is an opportunity to repent, dive into the Word of God, And become more like Christ and live a life of holiness. That's exactly what it is. But how does God deliver us from allowing temptation to morph into evil and sin? Though, you know, because it most certainly can. As you well know, everybody knows this, right? Primarily Christ and primarily his word, right? But sometimes, sometimes by sovereign intervention, God arranges the circumstances of your life, right? Sometimes pruning. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes by diminishing our sinful desires. Sometimes the best way through spiritual maturity. Sometimes by arranging circumstances and giving us a way of escape. Look for it always. Pray for it. It's always there. Did not David have multiple ways of escape? Every step of the way... You could diagram it like, I need to put this up on a whiteboard one day and go through the stages of David's sin and then marry it to what he could have done at each stage. He had multiple ways of escape. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says these encouraging words. I've seen this. I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in the life of other believers. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not unique. You're not a unicorn in that regard. You're not the first one that's ever experienced this. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may may be able to endure it, not turn it into sin. So temptation is sort of a barometer for your life in Christ as it often exposes strongholds of sin in you, that the Father wants to excoriate from you, to make you more like Christ, make you, lead you more into holiness. David says, once he recovered and came to his senses, Psalm 51, 7, he realizes this. And he says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was used in that day for the plague, for leprosy, chest infection, and to symbolically cleanse the soul. Paul says to us, Romans 12, 1, pay attention to this. David, if he had awareness, could have leapfrogged over the sin and went straight to repentance and holiness, right? So sin and temptation are the two biggest challenges we face. I would put out there to you today, the two biggest challenges. But let's talk about the ultimate Why? the ultimate reward. And first, though, I want to talk about a little bit about perseverance. Why not just give up? Have you ever felt like just giving up? Everybody does from time to time, and it's just we're only... I hate these cliches because they smack of human reason. I want to say we're only human, right? That's ludicrous. That's an excuse. That's not biblical. But we're, we're not sovereign, I guess, you know. So who's our greatest example of not giving up? Jesus. Did he give up because it got too difficult? Is he quitting on us now, even as we continue to sin? Jesus doesn't quit. We can't either. Paul reminds us in Philippians three twelve to 14, he says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What can you experience in this life that would make you quit? When we see these words, it should make your heart sing. There's a reward worth fighting for. You know, consider this. The reunion of the Son with the Father has happened. Where do you see it in Scripture? Where do you see it? The answer is, just like the sovereignty of God and salvation, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Once you wake up to the concept of the reunion between the Son and the Father... You start to see it, it shows up, it's hidden in plain sight as it were, right? Let's walk through some verses together and I want to show this to you. But I will say this, because I've thought about this for a long, long time. It's not explicitly, literally illustrated in Scripture. And I would argue that it's likely too intense, it's too personal for us to fully fathom with our human limitations um, but if there was a separation, there had to be a reunion, right? There is, and you can see it. Second Peter one seventeen says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Part of it there. Referencing David in Acts 2.31-33, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to read Psalm 21 twice, okay? This Psalm is primarily a song of thanksgiving from David to God for victory in battle. And and how do you give scripture context? You look what's before it, and what's behind it, right? So in Psalm 20, you can see that this is thanksgiving after the battle victory. And so these verses, though, have dual application. Because remember, David was a type of Christ, right? And it, it's, it's crazy to think that, these are these verses are applicable to David's descendant, Jesus. David's physical descendant. David is Christ's spiritual descendant, right? When it flips. Um, let's read this. Think about, think about King David first. And, and then I want to reread some of these verses with the Lord Jesus in mind in the context of the reunion between the Son and the Father. So... He says this, O oh Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah, pause, think, meditate. Think about that. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. David. Now let's backtrack. Think about Christ. These are applicable to him. I was going to start at verse 3, but in true West Salem fashion, maybe I'll just start back at verse 1 again. Oh, Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices, father to the son, right? And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts, bringing many sons to glory. You've given him his heart's desire to have a people, right? And have not withheld the request of his lips. Pause and think about this. For you meet him with rich blessings, and you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. These are glorious words. And I also, like just to wet your whistle a little bit, consider the same reading of Psalm 23. Psalm 24.10 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Consider Isaiah 52, 53, 54. That's a shameless plug also to come on Wednesday night if you can. It's amazing and it's, and it's, it's rich. Come Wednesday. We're in Isaiah. Um, Revelation chapters 7 through 14 in parts. It's everywhere in Scripture. It's everywhere. Just look for it. Think about it. What about the spiritual reunion between us and the Son and therefore between us and the Father? It's happened and it is still happening with God's elect. We await a glorious time of final reconciliation. An ultimate reunion promised to us in Scripture. Come here with me. Come with me to Revelation 7. Turn to Revelation 7. You've got to look at this with me. Please. Turn to Revelation 7. Let's walk through some verses here. This is glorious. It should make your heart sing. Revelation 7. Love Revelation. Most people are scared of it, right? It should not be avoided. It would be magnified, just like any other area of Scripture, like we did a few years ago. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. A great multitude from every nation, and if you're in Christ, you're here in the Bible. You didn't realize that, maybe. John saw you. If you're in Christ, you're in Scripture. Right here it is. Flip over to Revelation 19. Let's keep looking at this. This is glorious. And this is why we can never quit. I want you to see these verses because I want to inspire you today. I want to put wind under your wings. I want to put steel in your backbones through the Word of God. No philosophy of man can do this. Only the Word of God. And right here it is. This is why we can never quit. In Revelation 19, starting in verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Can you imagine that? The great multitude at the marriage supper of the Lamb crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. The glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's why we can't quit, right? You'll be there if you're in Christ. You will be there. And every other consideration that you struggle with right now will evaporate when you see Jesus' face. Go with me to Revelation 21. We're on a roll here. I want you to see this. This is our double why. This is the answer to the two-year-old's questions, are we there yet, and why? Why, but why, but why, but why? This is our double why. This is the final, ultimate reunion. It says this. John writes these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I always have to say, I'm sorry, Judy, at that point. She loved the beach, Right. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away like sin and temptation, right? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty. I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, my daughter. So let me ask you this. Do you want to bail out now from this life in Christ? Do you want to quit? This should, again, this should make your heart sing. These are glorious words. This is an answer to all the wise. This is why we persevere. It's done. It's covered. We're covered. It has already occurred because of the will of God, right? So, what are the risks we face? There's a lot of risks, right? There's heresy and apostasy and eternal separation because there will come a day when God Himself will command that the gospel is shared with humanity one last time. You see that Revelation 14:6. It won't be some missionary in some lost people group. It won't be a human. It will be God himself that shares the gospel the last time. Then the end will come with the reconciliation of all things. So for those that are lost, the most important thing to realize is that there's a huge and everlasting risk to rejecting the gospel. And rationalizing, as people do, that you might have one last chance before dying to believe it. It's the highest level of risk for human beings. Don't take it. I would encourage you to act now. For those of you that are in Christ, I would remind you that you're called to a higher standard, a higher standard of conduct in every corner of your life. You represent King Jesus. Everything matters. Everything counts. All of your activities, the actions you take, the way you treat waitresses on Sunday, the the things you say, the opinions you have, the things that you spend your time on, it matters. And so to summarize a little bit of this, again, Romans 12, 1, Paul is just adamant. He is passionately telling us to pay attention to this and the verses that follow. This is your total life guide. This is who you are. This is how you are to relate to one another and to conduct yourself. And through the spirit of Christ, you should be this way. But we're constantly challenged by sin and temptation, right? We were separated from God. Jesus was separated from the Father, but Christ has reunion with God, and now we have reunion with the Holy Trinity through Christ. It's costly, but it's not complicated, right? We have to become a living sacrifice. What do we say to God alone? The glory, right? Sola Deo Gloria, right? God alone. We are a living sacrifice for His glory. And we have been giving, given the gifts of grace. We call it sola gratia, right? We have the fullness of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not a partial portion. You have the entire Spirit. You don't have part. So you have His work. He's brought you the faith to believe from the Father, and it's only faith, right? Sola Fide. We have the complete counsel of God in his completed word by Scripture alone, Sola Scriptura, and our lives display the marks of the true Christian if we are in Christ, because it's Christ, Christ, and by the way, it's only Christ, it's always Christ. He is our true life, Sola Christus, right? So we're not called to fail. We're not called to quit. We're not called to despair. These are not options for those of us that possess the strength of Christ. We have to persevere. So what I want you to remember from this is know and understand how temptation can be turned to your advantage. It can be. Always keep in mind how it works. It is a primary pruning device. We corrupt it. If we don't pay attention to it, you know, we're doomed to mindlessly just repeat it for years. You have to apply the benefits of pruning, growing in Christ, becoming like him. Use it and believe that, you know, your temptations don't happen to you randomly. It's not random. Nothing in God's economy is random, right? You have to put it in the context of thinking about your. Sin, fantasy, temptations, whatever you want to call it. What is God? Ask the question. When you feel temptation and you realize you've run with it for a minute, pause and ask God, what are you trying to expose in me in order to lead me to holiness and not sin? He's not leading you to sin. God does not want you to sin. Believe that. Pray. Study the word. Train your mind to defend and not indulge your specific temptations like there's some kind of hobby. It's a bad hobby, right? It's the enemy that tempts you to sin. The flesh wants you to sin. God has tempted you to make you holy and expose your faith to you. Know your weaknesses. You know, they're not always blatantly obvious. may actually be some character trait you're proud to be known by. Okay, repent of that. Um, commit special relevant verses to mine and preach them to yourself constantly. Pray for the vine dresser to prune it out of you. Strive for holiness and know how sin works. It can be sneaky, subtle, and there's a progression to it. But just like with temptation, there's always a way of escape. Be courageous enough to use it and act on it and be aware of it. It's always there. It is always there. Does the word of God lie? It does not, certainly not. You always have a way of escape, always. And so we can trust him, right? Second Peter 2, 7-9 through nine says this about, you know, the, the virtue of cultivating a healthy, consistent, specific, frequent habit of repentance. Because the Lord knows how to rescue us, right? You can't do general repentance. So many times, you know, you can't just pray... Forgive me my sins. All right. I would encourage you to pray as specifically as you can. He's faithful to forgive. And you don't need to approach him shy or embarrassed. He already knows. Do you think that there's something in your life that God doesn't already know? He knows everything. He knows more about you than you will ever know about yourself. But we can trust him. It says this in 2 Peter. And if he rescued righteous Lot... Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then, here it is. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Okay, he is faithful. He is trustworthy. Be specific as you can. He already knows. There's great reward in obedience. There's great reward in holiness. There is the ultimate reunion coming. Our reunion is not yet completed. And how do you want to stand before the Lord on that day, you know, with a sack full of sin and unrefined temptations? It won't be that way. Or or a sack full of crowns, you know. Um, and I, I thought about this question, and then it immediately answered itself. I thought, is, your eternal, is our eternal salvation going to be an unequal trade for him? Well, it is. It is. But how unequal do we want it to be exactly? You know, fortunately for us, he bought it and he erased it. Um, I, want to, I want to add this. I want to go back to thoughts on this centered around the gospel. The gospel that's contained herein and the life in Christ that we've talked about. For people that are lost, you know, um, Jesus said in Luke 24 when he came back, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus opened their minds and then shared the gospel with them. My prayer for everyone who does not yet know Christ is that the Holy Spirit of God would open their minds to understand the effective call of the gospel Give them the faith to believe. You just have to trust and believe that it's all true. Jesus said this on a deeper level in John 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have a life. Come to him now. If you're not in him, come to him now or risk forever trying to bear the wrath of God. You can't do it you can't you have to believe and repent and trust and i would encourage you to compose your own prayer to him he's faithful he will run to you take a baby step towards him he will run to you for those of us that are saved in the midst of this discussion we've had today i want to give you even more encouragement from the word of god from first peter 5 he instructs us thusly be sober minded Be serious, be a student of Scripture, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Everyone in Christ that has ever been or ever will be will live the same type of life, right? And after you have suffered a little while, because it doesn't compare to the glory to come to be revealed in you. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And then the very words of Christ. I want to encourage you that you don't have to stand alone. You can't. You cannot stand alone. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's encouragement, there's instruction, there is An explanation for the things that we experience in this life. It's right in front of us. Be a student. Study and pray. Be, be consistent and faithful in that. Um, I'm going to wrap this up now. See, I didn't run over. The roller coaster just came in, right? We, we just, we looped the loop and then came into the starting point again, right? See, I didn't, I didn't run over, but I could have. Um, anyway, I want the uh, worship team to come up, the elders, and we'll prepare to close this service as I pray, Father. Let's pray. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use temptation in our lives for your holy purpose. Prune us, make us more like Christ, forgive us our sins, help us to be determined to consistently, specifically repent. Let us live in the rewards you have made. They are here and now. They are forever. You are the Alpha, the Omega. In you, time doesn't exist, so it is already set in stone. Give us a heightened awareness of what we do so we don't just blindly go through life. Give us your word. The example of our Lord and Savior is right in front of us. And for the lost, I just pray, believe and come to Christ. It's as simple as that. And for those that are saved, walk in Christ. Abide in him. Abide in his word. And that's, that's all we need to do. Now, I know it's not easy, and I know it's not simple, but, I, but it's worth it. So I, I pray, Father God, that you would, you would be with us in this life, that you would help us to navigate it, and that you would be glorified in all that we do, all that we think, all that we say, all that we feel, every part of our lives is yours because you're worthy. I thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that you'd be with us now as we mull this over in the days to come for your glory and for the sake of Jesus and his suffering. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.